0: Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.
1: Today, we're happy to introduce you to Andrius, managing partner at Change Ventures, the first and largest truly pan-Baltic pre-seed seed fund. Change Ventures backs ambitious Baltic founders, and are searching for founding teams that have the grit to succeed. Andrus was also recently awarded the Human Development Award by the President of Latvia for an outstanding contribution to the future of the nation for his work with startups and tech hub Riga. Before starting today's episode, we'd like to introduce you to Four Degrees. Four Degrees is the VC Relationship Intelligence CRM that helps you source and close deals in less time. Built by VCs who recognize the power of relationship networks, Four Degrees will transform your network into a living, breathing engine of opportunity by automating the deal-making process. To learn more about how Four Degrees can help you leverage your firm's relationships to move deals forward faster, visit Four Degrees forward
2: Andres, welcome to the European VC. We're so happy to have you with us.
3: Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Andres, before we start, I just want to take the time to hear a bit more about you. You've built what I think is a super impressive fund in the Baltics, and I just want to hear what's it been like? What's your journey? You started out with a quite small fund and now you're at 50 million just closed uh, last week. So super exciting.
3: Yeah, thank you. So myself and actually my two original partners, we really started on the operating side. So I spent 25-odd years in startups in the US, Israel, UK, elsewhere in the Nordics and in the Baltics. At sea level, uh, as a founder in various roles, bankrupted a few companies, so done everything that needs to be done to have empathy on the founder side. And my two original founding partners are the same in terms of their backgrounds. And so we were increasingly involved in the fast-growing Baltic ecosystem here in various ways and basically spotted an opportunity to build a fund at what we think is the most interesting stage of investing, you know, really early seed, pre-seed. Together with some US partners' investors, we raised a first fund around 2019. That was a small concept fund, you could say, around 5 million. We invested in nine companies. From that fund, a couple of those are doing really super well. Interactio in Lithuania raised a 30 million A round last year and a few others are doing very well. And then two years ago, we did the first closing of Fund 2, which was anchored by EIF. That first closing was 21 million. And it's taken a little while to get to the final closing. So here we are two years later, but we have done the final closing now at 49 million euros. And uh, that makes us the biggest seed fund in the Baltic States. Really, that is sort of the most important characteristic. Uh, We're purely focused on this region. And so we're a sort of mostly sector agnostic regional focused fund. So we're investing pre-seed and seed tickets, anything from around 400k to around 2 million initial investment plus follow-on capital, our portfolio reflects sort of what you generally see in this region. So a bunch of fintech, e-commerce, retail, some B2B, some B2C, and some deep tech in the form of robotics and a few other investments. And so our shtick, you could say, is that we spend lots of time meeting founders very, very early building relationships and trying to help them and the ecosystem grow and then trying to spot the outliers and be able to invest at seed mostly, and then back them up and help them raise the next rounds. And so this region is super exciting, which is why we have no need to go beyond it. It's growing like crazy. We just released our latest Baltic startup funding report that we do twice a year. It shows that last year, Baltic startups attracted almost a billion euros in funding, you know, it's super exciting. And, you know, sort of the thesis that we're advancing is that we think this region can become like the next Israel. So three small countries, small populations with entrepreneurs who have the talent to build born global companies that can scale into massive success stories. You know, you have a long list to take as examples, starting with Skype, then most recently Vinted and Verif and uh, Pipedrive and Bolt. Yeah, so that's a long winded way of giving you the intro. Thanks, Andres. And I think
4: congratulations are in order because of the final close. That's awesome. I think what would be interesting now for our audience is actually continuing that line of thought and deep diving a bit on the region, on the Baltics. Give us a quick rundown of, you know, for people who do not know the region, who are outside of the region, you know, how would you describe it to us? Why is it exciting? What's happening? What makes you so excited about investing in the region?
3: So I think there's kind of a unique set of characteristics that come together. So As I said, overall population is small, so the local consumer market is tiny. Like Estonia, the smallest 1.3 million people, like you do not really want to launch a consumer business (laughs) that is purely focused on Estonia. It's just not that interesting if you want to build something big, right? So there's just not enough people. So what you tend to see is that the ambitious founders, like the ones we want to back, from day one, they're building companies that are aimed at much bigger global markets, It might be Western European markets, it might be the US, it might be South America, it might be Africa or Asia. And so from this region with a small population, you have a sufficient talent pool that has repeatedly gone and done this and built companies that scale in big markets. And just like in Israel, because that ecosystem is relatively small, we believe the knowledge transfer among the founders and the lessons learned and the capital transfer is happening much more efficiently and faster. So in London, you go to a tech conference and you might see the You know, most successful founders on stage in Estonia. You go to Latitude 59, which is the biggest conference every year, and Tavit Hindrikus will be wandering down the corridor, founder of Skype, wise, right? He's worth billions. He'll be just wandering down the corridor chatting with everyone. And so, you know, the proximity of the ecosystem, the closeness of that means that the transfer, I think, happens faster and it happens in two key ways. So, one is knowledge from both founders and senior management at companies that have really scaled huge, that knowledge tends to more quickly flow into the next companies that they're founding. And then they have angels who are their former co-workers who are helping back them. And so this transfer happens faster and the capital is getting moved to the next company quite rapidly and efficiently. And so so that we saw happening in Estonia for years and now it's repeating in the other countries.
2: Yeah, because that was actually my question. If To what extent can you think of the Baltics as one country or one ecosystem versus is it three different countries? And if you're a founder in one, you don't necessarily know the founders in the other countries.
3: So there's a little bit of one and a little bit of the other, right? So the, the reality is somewhere in between. So of course, they are three separate countries three separate languages the founders have you know the closest affinity with their community which is partly why you know we'll talk about how our fund is organized we have feet on the street you know people locally in each community however there is a concept of the baltic states as people look at it from the outside which has been you know in history is well established and because these countries are small and because they have a shared history over a long period of time mostly a history of other big nations invading us, there is a common bond between the communities in these three countries. And this physical proximity is close enough that there's quite a lot of interaction. To give you an example, so I co-founded a foundation in Riga, Tech Hub Riga, that was doing the first meetups here and the first hackathons and everything. Very early on, we got together with the Garage 48 guys who were the best in the region at organizing hackathons, and they would regularly come down and run the hackathons in Riga. And it was great. So we had interaction with them. There was more, you know, the network was growing. And so these kind of interactions have been happening for years already. And so I'd say there's quite a close set of connections across the three countries. And so we think there's, you know, great benefit to be had from that. And so, you know, we think you can think of them as one region. Obviously with three you know separate communities within that.
4: Yeah. I'm also curious to hear your explanation and your overview of the investment landscape in the region. So now we're talking more about the founder side, the innovation side, and now
3: what about the financing side? What's the landscape like? The startup funding report we released just now clearly shows that the funding environment is maturing. So, you know, a billion dollars almost or euros over a billion dollars deployed last year in Baltic startups, you know, that is driven by large growth rounds. You know, Bolt had a massive round last year, quite a lot of Series A rounds, so very sort of consistent, you know, funding of large startups that are scaling up massively. And so, you know, that is the big change over the last few years. So if you wind back the clock a few years ago, it was mostly pre-seed seed rounds, small companies very early stage. You know, there wasn't really a track record of big success and scale-ups. And so that funding environment has changed. And now, you know, especially with the pandemic and the realization that investments can happen all over the world, you know, often over Zoom, you know, we have the big investors from the US and Western Europe very regularly looking for not just early, early small investments here, but looking at investing in big growth rounds in companies that are scaling massively. And that's definitely changed The second thing that's probably changed the most is the proliferation of angels. So this success has, of course, led to a bunch of exits and a bunch of secondaries, which nowadays happen earlier and earlier. And so you have quite a large pool now of angels with specific experience in the industry, which are the most valuable kinds of capital at a very early stage to bring on board. So that's all great for founders.
2: Yeah, and I think that our next topic is going to be firm building, <laughs> but let's dive a bit into that because angels play an important role in how you build both your fund but also your investment strategy. So do speak to that. I think it's super cool, Anders.
3: So yeah, angels are important for us. You know, especially as a local generalist fund, we will never be able to, in a small team, accumulate all of the specialist knowledge and experience in all of the different. Uh, kind of fields that our portfolio companies are operating in. And so it's really important for us to bring in other co-investors who have that specialist knowledge and angels are often a good way of doing this in the sense that you have experienced people who have specific knowledge of a maybe a type of a business model as well it might be marketplace specialists so we had an investment in Gelatex, which is a supplier to the cultured meat industry and you know we have some co-investors who really understand food tech you know much better than us right so we have a great relationship with the founders we can help them with all sorts of things that are you could say somewhat generic around building a startup but as it comes to food tech and understanding that industry specifically you know we have co-investors that know that really well and the same would be the case with some of our edtech investments or uh, robotics investments uh, especially any that are in really specific fields and so angels is part of that strategy and you know we also have some angels who are LP investors in the fund who we regularly collaborate with and share ideas and investment opportunities with and that are also backing us as a fund.
2: I think it's super interesting that you've actually set up a vehicle specifically to bring in angels into your LP. I'd love to hear your thinking around that, the hassle. We have a lot of emerging managers listening in and, and, you know, everyone's thinking about how can they strengthen the ecosystem around them. Super close to what we're doing. Sorry, I'd love to hear more about how you've done that and your thought process.
3: So it's still, I'd say, at the experiment stage. So the experiment we did was we got together with a local financing company that we know well here in Latvia, and they organized a feeder fund, which gathered up angel investors that were investing in that feeder fund that then becomes an LP in our fund. And it is an experiment. We are going to see how this pans out, how it works, but it does allow us to bring on board, you know, people who are sort of close to us, who we like to collaborate with, and who we would like to have a vested interest in us succeeding. And so even more incentive to help us and help our portfolio, and but who are not able to afford, you know, the minimum commitment to be a full LP. And so this kind of vehicle helps us do that, you know, it has some legal and operating complexity, which we're trying to manage through. But having a feeder fund, we think, is one way that maybe this can be done. So I'll probably need to report back in a while as to how, <laughs> how well this works. But uh, but this was our first attempt.
2: Yeah, but You can definitely report on your thought process. <laughs> and I think also contrasted to other ways, right, because... I kind of liken it to a scout model, just saying that it's just another model of working with scouts. I'm curious to hear your thought process.
3: Yeah, and so the thought process is really the driver is simply involving people who we want to be closer to in terms of working with the fund. And they may have a function of sort of scouting deals, some of them. Some of them are referring other founders to us, which is great. But some of them are also people who are valuable post-investment. So we have one guy who's spent many years in the insurance industry and will not be someone we will involve in every single portfolio company. But there will be occasions I foresee over the next years where you know his particular background and experience might be useful for one of our portfolio companies and then we have someone who you know when i ask for some help you know they're quite likely to respond and find some time to be able to help that's kind of the simple equation
2: now let's jump into the topic that we always love which is firm building and i think the natural question is to say what has gone through your mind going from a 5 million euro first fund to now a 50 million euro second fund that is quite a big jump so i'm excited to hear this
3: there's a little background to that 5 to 50 million jump in the sense that the original plan for fund 1 was actually to be you know a 30 million fund and it simply got you could say it got preempted by eif backing a separate vehicle <laughs> that became fund 2 but you know all along we've kind of treated the fund management process as a startup In and of itself. So we believe we're running a startup and we're constantly trying to learn and improve the way we operate in order to be more successful. And so one of the key things for us has been covering these three distinct geographical markets that are close by, but they're still you know separated by a few hours in a car or an hour on the plane. And so we do believe it's important to be deeply embedded in each of those separate communities. And that is why we've actually started as a distributed fund, myself based in Riga. My two original partners are in Tallinn and we hired a now senior associate, Gabriela, who's based in Vilnius. And we feel it's important to have these local connections in the local community at the same time be able to get together and run a firm that operates across these three countries.
4: You said something really interesting, which was Fund One was intended to be a 30 million fund, but we got preempted by AF wanting to, uh, to do the second fund. To what extent, can you shed some light on that process? Because that's extremely interesting for emerging managers listening in.
3: I can shed a little bit of light in the sense that we were discussing for a long time with EIF about joining Fund One, And in the end, it became more advantageous for everyone to just sort of package that up, leave it and start fun too. And so there's more detail, you know, behind that. But in the end, that became the obvious kind of way to run things. And for certain reasons, it was convenient for us as well. And so that's what we did. There is definitely a huge difference between having a five million fund and a fifty million fund. Not just in terms of you know some more resources to run the fund, but there's more complexity, more LPs, more investments, and everything. So it's definitely something we're learning to grapple with. But we're also very grateful and fortunate that we have LPs who have backed us in building a bigger fund, and we think this is you know a, the right size to be able to deploy meaningful investments in this region.
2: I was about to say not a day goes by, but maybe it's not a week goes by where David and I don't talk to an emerging manager that has a plan to raise a 30 or 50 million euro fund and just yesterday I said to one of these thinking like that is a bit like thinking that someone should pay your train ticket to the audition of the x-factor because your first fund it's about showing that you can actually do the work and then you can do a bigger second fund it's almost like that the market because everyone wants to do VC these days so don't imagine that someone will also pay you a fat management fee for that (laughs) I'm curious to hear because you started three guys you had five million secured you had a good feeling about the AF and other LPs that would come in for either make the first vehicle bigger or create a second vehicle. But the thought process of you as a team saying, we're going to do this. I'm super curious to hear, where do you know each other from? Where did you get the conviction from? What kind of conversations did you have?
3: So we know each other. I know one of my partners, Olya, for quite a few years. We were both on the sort of investment or advisory committee for a uh, startup accelerator called Startup Wise Guys that started in Estonia, and I was involved in the kickoff of that. And then Odia came back some years later, saying, "You're right. they are looking at putting this together. Do you want to join us?" And actually, the you know I'd say that one of the really important parts of getting to a bigger fund, one of the big lessons learned was find any way you can to make actual investments, put money in the ground as proof points of your ability to collaborate together, your ability to pick. At first, they're interesting. Later, they may be successful, but at least interesting companies that LPs are attracted by. And so we did a bunch of pre-closing investments even before closing the first fund which changes the conversation that you have with LPs. So I think it's very different having a sort of a theoretical discussion around, I'm going to raise this size of fund with this strategy of this kind of company, you know, with this kind of stake that we're going to buy, etc. That conversation is so theoretical and so only driven by, you know, who these people are it's very different when you even have just three examples, right? So here's three investments we've made, which will be moved at cost into the fund, right? When we do the first closing and you have a completely different conversation with LPs about, you know, what are these companies? Why are they interesting? How did you get to them? Right? Because they're specific. And so my main advice to anyone looking at actually raising a fund is either through your angel portfolio Uh, where you can warehouse some investments into a fund or find some way to do pre-closing investments, you know, and have something very tangible to talk about. And so that is, you know, definitely one of the things that I think helped us in the conversation with LPs.
2: Could you speak a bit to the uh, constellation of that 5 million euro first fund? Who were your first backers and how did you get them to jump?
3: So the first fund was actually a U.S. Delaware-registered fund. And we had actually a couple of GPs who were U.S. investors who were also helping raise this fund. And actually, there's a man... Who has unfortunately passed away since then, called Harry Hugie, who was a, um, you could call him an file So he traveled to Estonia before the um, regaining of independence from the Soviet Union, fell in love with Estonia, has helped in many different ways since then as a philanthropist and basically had an idea about, you know, could do a fund and we were helping him execute that idea. And so he brought some of his buddies who invested. I brought in some of my friends as initial LPs. And that's how we raised the first money. One of the big advantages of initially having a purely private fund was we were able to structure the Fund thesis and everything you know in exactly the way we thought it should be done, and that's easier done with a private investor than with a large institutional that then may come with their preconceived ideas of you know what the thesis should be and so forth. And so then that was kind of the little proof point that helped then EIF become comfortable that we're going to raise money, we're going to be successful in making investments. It's the same as a startup, right? You build an MVP, you get some early customers, you get some track and you keep, you know, repeating this story again and again. And, you know, as a fund manager, I think it's kind of similar.
4: How does your deal flow kind of strategy pan out? You know, and I'm also curious to know in the Baltics region, what are you seeing? Are deals very much concentrated in the capitals that you just named? Or do you see interesting activity outside, even though, you know, I know that the countries are small, but I'm really curious to understand the dynamics, actually.
3: Let me quickly answer the second question first in terms of geography. So the three countries are a little different. So Estonia has two larger cities, Tallinn and Tartu. 99% of the deals are from Tallinn and Tartu. Riga is very capital centric. So Riga is much the biggest city in the country. Almost all the deals we have in Latvia come from Riga. And Lithuania, again, is more spread out. So Vilnius and are the two biggest cities, and the investments are coming mostly from there. In terms of deal flow in general, so as I said from the beginning, our focus is founder relationship driven. And so unlike a fund in London that is looking to invest in, I don't know, AI startups all across Europe and that is looking for sort of that needle in a haystack, we are going through pretty much all of the haystack in the Baltic States all the time and we are trying to identify who are the best founding teams in that region and get to know them you know even before they launch or as they launch so before we're investing and our approach is you know genuinely to try and see if we can help these founders be successful early on if we can show that we can help them and be useful then We have a better chance of building a good relationship and uh, winning the right to lead an investment where we would like to. And sort of that's our attitude. And so if you look at our Fund2 portfolio, actually, in half of the companies that we've backed in Fund2, one of us knows at least one of the founders for five years or more. So long time relationships. And so the difference between us and a fund from London flying in to try and do a seed deal is... We know these founders really yeah. well. We can reference them in the community. They know us. They've had a long time to find out you know, about us. And so these are personal relationships. Because in the end, I think this is a trust business, right? You want to work with these people for years and years and years. You have to trust each other. There's no time to go through all the legal details of all the transactions you might want to do. It's a lot around trust. And so that's what we're trying to build.
4: To what extent are these pedigree founders or repeat founders? Because I guess that a lot of your deal flow work is also to some extent ecosystem building,
3: but I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's a mix. We have both backed you know, very experienced founders who have previous very successful startups, and we've also backed first-time founding teams. We will do both, and we think there's opportunities for both. And if you look at sort of the recent successes in the Baltic States, I mean, we just, you know, we're an investor in Verif, led by a young, he's not even 30, a young CEO for whom this is his first startup. He's now got a unicorn on his hands, extremely talented, right? And so we do believe this is possible and repeatable. And so we are definitely backing first-time founders. At the same time, there is a lot of value to experience as well. And so we will look at both. Yeah, of course. So you and your partners are actually covering two of these
4: countries. And then, if I'm not mistaken, you said a senior associate covering uh, Lithuania. <laughs> it is a bit different. My perception, at least from the outside, you know, to have a partner, to have a less senior element mm-hmm. of the team covering that region. What are the challenges that come with that and... How did you, as a, you know, the partnership, how did you kind of look at it and deal with the challenges and mitigate potential risks from that?
3: So the Lithuanian market, I was from day one super involved myself in building relationships there and in sourcing our investments there. You know, I've spent a lot of time building relationships there myself. And Gabriela has simply supercharged what we do down there. She is an unbelievable relationship builder and has very quickly built very strong relationships with the founders and other investors down there. And so together we work as a team. We did go out very publicly, also look for, see if we can find the right fit as a partner that would be based in Lithuania. We talked to you know everyone we could think of potentially working with and we didn't find the right fit for us it's a very complicated thing bringing a partner on board a vc fund i would say it's a super high risk hire in the sense of it's a very very long term illiquid relationship there are very few people who are actually have the experience to qualify not just that, but we're looking for people who are have you know actual close relationships in a very small country ecosystem. So, and they have to actually be available and interested in this career opportunity at that right time. Mm. Yeah, you know, that reduces your pool of candidates very significantly. Basically, we decided Gabrielle is doing such a fantastic job. We don't need to necessarily hire a partner there now. Actually, Kat Silats, who joined as a partner now in Estonia, is someone that we know for quite a long time and that brings a lot of complementary experience to three original partners in the second fund. And so we're very happy to have her on board. Um, She'll be based in Estonia. As a team, we're also traveling across all three countries. So we live on Slack day to day. We have Regular meetings in sort of Tallinn as the headquarters, but all the investment team is also coming to Riga and Vilnius on a regular basis to meet with our portfolio companies, to meet with new potential investments. So we're working together across all three countries.
2: I really think that we should dive a bit into this living on Slack and having remote teams. I just saw Fred Destin posting the other day that he was back in the office and BC was a spontaneous business. It didn't lend itself very well to not seeing others, not meeting them in the hallway, saying, I've got this idea, or I'm trying to figure this out. Could you come in and then drag out a whiteboard? I'm curious to hear that. That is the nature of your business. How do you work with this?
3: You know, We do live on Slack day to day. And so we have... For better or for worse, we've developed a cadence where we are perhaps communicating differently than other funds in terms of the internal communications within the team on topics. And in some sense, our investment decisions are often partly composed of Slack threads where we have the deck, we have the initial notes from the initial meeting, and then there are other calls made, there's customer Mm -hmm. feedback gathered, there's various things that are adding to this thread. And we are having an active discussion in a written format. And then that's complemented by an active discussion in Zoom calls every week or you know, more frequently separately, and face-to-face meetings that we have on sort of a monthly basis or so as a whole team. And so, you know, we're putting all of this together to execute investments. We feel that we can do this fast enough and that we have sufficient time face to face for yes, I agree there. A different kind of discussion face to face. But we have to make the effort, fly, meet, you know, sit down together. And, you know, these are important times to be spent together. I definitely believe that they're valuable. But I do believe that we can do this successfully, not being in the same office all the time. For us, it would be, you know, we're weighing two things. So the disadvantage would be if we all sat in Tallinn, then I'm not in Riga day to day, right? So that's trade-off that we're making.
2: How is your decision structure in terms of does it require unanimity or is it just one partner that likes a deal and, and that partner can then bring it forward and bring it through or how do you go about that?
3: So we have a consensus model it's baked into our LPA we are gathering sort of a collective decision at the same time we are trying to be very thoughtful about not having groupthink and about taking enough risk and about how we ensure that we don't sort of regress to the mean and that we're still taking enough risk of the investments that are not obvious, right? And so this is a constant challenge.
2: Could you expand on how you try and force that into you?
3: I don't know if I have a great description rather than it is an attitude that we are trying to maintain and that we are being open to telling each other that, look, are we being too conservative in sort of regressing to the mean on this discussion about this company? You know, we're just raising the topic again and again to try and remind ourselves. I don't know if we've figured out anything better right now than that. You know, at the same time, there is value in consensus. It puts the burden on you know, the deal champion, and we have kind of a deal champion format, it puts the burden of the deal champion to convince the others. And that is, I think, an important discussion process to follow.
4: Okay, we
3: are reaching the final
4: section of our interview. That's a quick fire round, Andres. This is basically a couple of questions where we are hoping for quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? Yep, ready. So first question, In the Baltics, what areas or sectors, verticals, subsectors excite you the most that you'd say other people really don't feel that excited about?
3: The obvious ones that most people see here are fintech, but the one that I personally am very excited about that is maybe not obvious is robotics. You know, and that's partly I've done two robotics investments here, three robotics investments in the Baltics. So, Giraffe Three Hundred and Sixty, which is um, a company reinventing the way digital content is produced for real estate agents and brokers, as well as Aerons, which is reinventing how wind turbine inspection and maintenance of wind turbine blades happens. I think there's amazing opportunities for taking very well built robotics and turning them into business models that are very successful. In these two cases, one of them has a subscription business model, one is a service business model. Neither of them are selling robots. They are incorporating robotics into their business model and reinventing the way that their target industries Mm. actually execute and operate. And so I think there's tons more opportunities for that. And so still very excited to see more robotic startups. You know, Estonia has a bunch of them. You look at uh, Milram in the military space or Staria, which is Starship Robotics, the delivery robots. So lots of great companies in this
4: region in that space. Very cool, very exciting. Second question of the quick fire, what would be your top tips for emerging VCs
3: who are fundraising? Get some real investments into the fund pre-closing so you have something very tangible to talk about. That's the best thing you can do.
4: For sure. Third question and final question. What can we expect in the future from
3: Andres and from Change Ventures? So you can expect more Baltic unicorns. You can expect uh, more investments in this region. And I think we're just seeing the beginning. We have this thesis that this region is going to look like Israel in the future. We expect it to be a leader in Europe in terms of generating startups and big scale-up startup success stories. So expect many more of those.
2: That's amazing. Awesome, Andres. Thanks so much for joining us today. It was awesome having you here.
3: Super, thanks. Appreciate the time.
1: Four Degrees is the VC Relationship Intelligence CRM that helps you source and close deals in less time. Built by VCs who recognize the power of relationship networks, 4Degrees will transform your network into a living, breathing engine of opportunity by optimizing the deal-making process. To learn more about how 4Degrees can help you leverage your firm's relationships to move deals forward faster, visit 4degrees.ai forward slash EUVC.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.